Let me 
to Can a Player Play, and this is your host, K Dizzle, Elixir of Love. And welcome to the show. We have another heart throb schedule for you today. We're going to be talking to uh, Dr. Matthew Anderson shortly, and uh, we're talking about how to get ready for Mr. and Mrs. Wright, you know, because uh, some of us think we know the answer to that question. Yours truly, too, but don't seem like I can find nobody that know how to, you know, fry no chitlins and barbecue Vienna sausages and stuff. So, anyway, hopefully we can get the answer to the question. Let me see. Uh, Dr. Matthews, are you with us? I'm here. I'm here. Thanks for playing that song, man. That got me big points. I loved it. That was good. <laughs> Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Uh, you're that's, quite that's well. A good, that's a good version of it. That, that's one of your artists. Yeah, yeah. Kind of got a little jazz, a little funk, a lot of old, little old school. That's great. I love it. Sonny's going to love it, too. Well, I hope she do. I hope she do. Yeah. Well, you can't never get too many brownie points, you know, that's for sure. That's you right, man. When you, you got to always be things. working for them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got to always. It's a that's never right. ending thing. Right. So, yeah, we got something very exciting to talk about. So, you know, I guess we can jump right in there because everybody wants to know the answer to these some questions because they think they know the answers. But in actuality, they really, really don't because if they did, they wouldn't repeatedly make the same mistakes, would they? Well, that's the truth. Boy, we can do that, I'll tell you. We can make them over and over again. Tell me something. What is this fried chitlins and, and, and Vienna sausages? That you can't yeah. find somebody to do that for you? No, <laughs> no. You know, these, these, these new women, you know, they hamburger helper type. <laughs> <laughs> hamburger helper, that's funny. Hey, and, and, and look, let me let me clean it up right here. You know, uh, listeners, I'm really being funny. <laughs> I'm really making this stuff up. <laughs> Years ago, doing that. Let's say, and, and 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 top ramen and some Kool Aid. Uh. Oh boy! <laughs> <clears throat> wow. But anyway, anyway, Doc, how do we get ready for Mr. and Mrs. Wright? What 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 would you tell? Uh, what would you advise uh, a young lady or a young man to do? How how would they get themselves mentally ready for that? Well, you know, the people that I work with. The single people are always asking that question, and one of the things I say to them right off the top is, you know, I think going on the internet and looking for somebody to talk to or get to know and maybe have a relationship with is not a bad idea, but the the issue is is two kinds of issues I think, and and one is, are we really ready to be loved? Because I know that might sound like a funny statement but a lot of people are not and as you said we tend to pick you know we tend to pick somebody over and over I I had a guy who um, 
came to see me a few years ago, and I had seen him maybe maybe ten years before that. And he comes in and he sits down and he says, "Doc, listen, I, I got this problem. I just broke up with my girlfriend. I've been living with her for six months." And and uh, I said, "Well, what happened?" He said, "Well, we started fighting." He said, "She was like punching me out, man. It was really bad." I said, "That's pretty bad. So tell me what happened." So we started doing what I call identifying the flags. You know, there's a there's a flag that waves in front of us that says this is not the right one, and there's a flag maybe that raises waves in front of us that says it's it is the right one. So I said, tell me tell me about your first date. So he says I took her out in this little town nearby here and took her to a nice restaurant and they had dinner and apparently she had a little too much to drink and then he's starting to drive her home. They have this big fight in the car and. She jumps out of the car on, as he was trying to stop it at a stoplight and runs down the street, and they finally got her back in the car. I said, what would you do then? I said, he said, I took her home. I said, what would you do then? He said, ask her out for another date. Wow. <laughs> That's not – I said, do you think that maybe was a flag that said, hey, man, this is not the right person for you? And well, let me let me let me ask you a question, bad. Doc. Not to cut you off, I just want to ask you a question right there because I've I've had shows in the past and I've talked to guys before, and and these flags, as you call them, jump up over and over again, but they can't mm-hmm. identify them because they're looking at the wrong thing. And and you look, and if you load the person and you look at the type of women they've been dating, like their little track record, they all have yeah. all the women they date have similarities. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. uh, whether whether it's the body, I mean, whether, you know what I'm saying, the physical makeup uh-huh. or uh, uh, the mannerisms or, you know, they may be um, mm-hmm. domineering. I mean, they all have the same things. They just have different names. So how right. does that how does that factor into, uh, well, I guess you would identify a flag if you consciously recognize that. But these guys don't recognize it. After, over and over again, they date the same type of women. Well, so, I think that, well, that's a good point. But one thing a person has to do if they've been making not so good choices is they really do need to sit down and take a look at what are the common themes, what did they notice, and particularly what they noticed in the relationship early on that they decided not to pay attention to. You know, sometimes uh, it's true about women is just as well as men here. Um, we could be talking about either either uh, gender, but when you go out with somebody, you start interacting with them, and something happens that really doesn't work for you, the big question is what do you do with that information? You know, if a if a person gets really drunk on the first date, probably not a good sign that there's there's you know that's probably a a bad sign about the relationship, and it's also a sign that there's an alcohol problem. And remember how people go out in the beginning. I know you were telling me this last time we talked, is that they put on their best self, and it's not necessarily phony, but it is the best self they've got. Right. And if the best self they got is somebody who gets drunk on the first date, that's really not a good sign. You got a but, drunk representative. Uh, up, <laughs> you got a drunk representative. A drunk representative. You got a drunk representative. Funny. So, so I think one of the things that people need to do is say, what 
what happened as I began to interact with this person that did not work for me? And what am I, what do I notice? Because if I, if I work with people in this kind of situation, they always can tell me what they began to notice in the beginning. And then they'll say, I told myself it wasn't that important. I told myself uh, we'll get past it or it'll be okay later. And those are not good ways to talk to yourself. The second thing I think is usually very important is to pay attention to what your friends tell you. You know, if you take your man or your woman out with your friends, you want to know what your friends thought about that person later. Does that, do your friends think this is a nice person? This person is good for you. If they say, you know, this is, this doesn't look too good. You should start paying attention. A lot of times our friends can be very good. Give us very good feedback about that. But I think it's a really big, go ahead. Does it matter whether or not these friends make good choices for themselves? That's a really good question. I think it matters, but sometimes they're better at helping you than they might be at helping themselves. You know, if we're talking about somebody we really care about and we say, hey, you know, I didn't like that that guy cursed at you. You know, it's that's not a good way to talk to somebody that you care about, and our friends often can identify that kind of thing. Ultimately, though, I think that the biggest issue finding, and this is going to sound maybe a little bit strange, but the biggest issue in finding the right person is not where it's not looking out there and going to the right meeting or group or organization. It's how you get your heart ready to be loved. And a lot of people have a very, very, very difficult time with that. And I'll give you the best example I can think of is that the research says that people who win the lottery within five to seven years are in really bad shape. Almost all of the people who win big money cannot handle it. And so when we, when someone really loves us, really starts to care about us, the question is for us to think about is how much can I let that in? How much love can I actually tolerate? Because if we have a vision of ourselves, if I think, hey, I'm not such a lovable guy, I'm not going to let somebody love me a lot. And so then people start doing things to push that person away. And so that's a big question that I often get people to look at. How much love do they let in their life? Not, Not just from a lover, but also from friends, from other people. What do you do if somebody gives you a compliment? You know, if if I can't take a compliment from somebody, how can I let a person I think is fantastic really love me? Does that make sense? Yeah. Say yes. <laughs> yeah, it does. Make sense. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. You know, it's like what does what does a person do when somebody says? Hey, man, I I think that you are a really fantastic person. I think you're great at what you do. And what do you do with that? Can you take it in, breathe it into your your heart, let it it make you feel good? Or do you start saying, ah, I don't, you know, I, I," you start deflecting it. You start saying, well, maybe not, maybe, maybe I'm not like that. Or, you know, or maybe maybe some person to say uh, about time you recognized it. 
it's about time you recognized that I'm a nice person, that I'm a great person. Oh. <laughs> also, the other person didn't get it before, huh? That's kind of arrogant, you think? Well, yeah, but, you know, to me it goes to what you're saying, you know, is the heart ready for love and can you take a compliment? So how do uh-huh. uh, the average or general person take that compliment? Well, I the question is how much how much love does a person generally have in their life? And how much can they can they let in? I mean, I ha- I have a little exercise I ask people to do sometimes and I say, um, tell me 10 10 of your best qualities. Write down 10 of your most positive qualities. And some people get a little bit uncomfortable with that one. Why? What? What? I mean, what? What kind of question? I mean, what kind of answers do they come up with? What kind of uh, things do they write? What kind of what kind of positive things do they say? Mm-hmm. Well, they might say uh, I'm an honest person, or they might say um, I'm a person who really cares about my friends. They might say I got a great sense of humor. They might say I keep my body in good shape. They might say um, I'm smart. I'm intelligent. Or I've accomplished a lot in my life. A lot of people have a hard time just admitting that to themselves, even though they might be there. So, if what if I went to twenty-five positive characteristics? Right. Well, how can you tell? Here's so, one for you. How can you tell? How wait, 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 wait. Can you give me twenty-five? <laughs> twenty-five positive and twenty-five things yeah. about me. About yourself. Yeah. Well, I probably could give you about 75, but I don't think we got that much time. So. Oh, good. That's good. Okay. Well, that's good. That's good. That's excellent. Well, I've been preparing myself a long time, though, see. See, a lot of people, like you, like you asked, is your heart ready for love? Though I, I think... I think as you live life, walk through life, pay attention, smell the roses, look at the trees, watch the birds go in and out of relationships, and if you pay attention through that walk in life, I think we all come to some type of realization, at least we should if we have, you know, a portion of a brain, you know, what But we, that's that's a very that's very important what you're saying though about paying attention. You know, really pay attention to yourself and to other people. That's a real. That's a great skill to have. I, I asked a lot of my. I asked a lot of my friends. You know, uh, a lot of guys. You know, because you know we we're macho and you know we watch cowboys. You know, we got a head someplace else. But you know, you know, I asked them. You know, just just out of clear blue sky. You know, what's your girl's favorite food? Um, uh, uh, what's her favorite color? You know, uh, what particular cologne does she like, you know? Uh, what's mm-hmm. her favorite pastime? And I, I would say almost half of the guys couldn't even really, you know, tell you. But you can turn around and ask that same woman about a guy she was in a relationship with two times ago. And uh, she could tell you how he liked his socks, how he liked his shirt pressed, uh, how he liked his breakfast made, and what his favorite color was. So I'm just saying the difference in attention, like how women pay attention to little things more so than men. 
Well, you know, generally speaking, you're correct, as women tend to pay a little bit more attention to that. But if a man really wants to have a good relationship with a woman, he needs to acquire that skill, the way you're talking about it. He is to... You need to know how she likes her coffee and what her colors are that she likes and the kind of jewelry she likes. And you need to get to know the names of her friends and her family and really pay attention because you got to get, you know, sometimes a guy says, says to me, he's going out on a date. He says, well, how do I, what do I do? And I said, the best thing you can do is pay attention to her. Give her your full attention. Get to know that person get interested in her and uh, you know the big question I have is those guys who didn't have the right answers to that what were they paying attention to when they were with her what were they what were they noticing what was important to them I, I, I don't know I don't know I got I guess I got one of those other kind of minds because I would even wonder what would be their real motivation for being there in the first place. And I guess that's right. Depending on what their motivation was for being there um, with her in the first place would kind of dictate to me, or I would think it would make uh, why, you know what I mean? How much they would pay attention. I guess that's where I'm going with that. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you really if you really want to get to know somebody and you're really there to get to know her and, and you're trying to get into her mind and find out, you know, who she is and what she's about, uh, and it's not just a, a physical thing, I guess a man would tend to pay, or a woman would tend to pay more attention to that person. Well, what I like to say to, to the, the, the single people that I work with, the couples too, but the single people in particular – is it's important to get naked emotionally before you get naked physically. And what I mean by that is you need to really get to know a person, become emotionally, mentally, spiritually intimate with that person first. And before you get involved physically. And a lot of people reverse that and they go out with, with somebody and they get attracted to them and they get physically naked, but they haven't done the work of really getting close to that person in terms of their heart and their mind, and even, I guess you might say, even their soul. And so it's it's like the cart's before the horse. It's backwards, and it, it gets in the way of developing a relationship. I think the way we're really designed as human beings we do best if we get close emotionally before we get close physically. And I'm not trying to be moral or ethical here. I'm just saying psychologically, in terms of what really works in the relationship, that's the best way to do it. So you go out with somebody, you start getting to know them, really get to know them, and pay attention. And also learn how to open your own heart. To that person which I think is really Really important too because <clears throat> As we Get attracted to someone Physically which is Fine you know I, I think Physical attraction is a great thing That's only a piece of what A relationship is about You mentioned earlier there is someone For everyone uh, who wants One how do how do we determine who that person is? 
Oh boy, that's a good question. I know somebody wrote a whole book about that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope he wrote a half a book of answers. Uh, he did. He did. Uh, I, you know, there's a bit of a mystery in that. You know, um, how do we tell when a person falls in love with another person? Uh, it's it, we can't force it. I can't decide today, well, I'm going to go out today and fall in love with somebody. I'm going to find Miss Wright today. It, it, it's, it's like a gift. I think of it as a, as a sacred gift. Like God comes to us and says, okay, these two people are going to fall in love, and it kind of drops on us. And if we pay attention to that, we really notice what's going on in our hearts. It's a pretty powerful experience. I imagine you know what that's like. Sound like I dropped the mic. <laughs> of course, being being a, a older gentleman like myself, of course I do. So, I uh, honestly, I also believe it because you said it, and I like the phrase. I, I use it often. There is someone for everyone who wants one. I believe that with every cell in my body I've seen it happen in so many different situations over the years and working with people and a lot of times people come to me and say you know I've been trying so hard and I just can't find the right guy I can't find the right woman and my my approach to them is to say look instead of running around and making yourself crazy and looking everywhere sit down and start opening your heart and people say to me, well, what does that mean, open your heart? It means literally you sit down in a chair and you start looking inside yourself and see if you can say, I want to open my heart to love. I really do. I I think that love wants to come to us. That's a strong belief I have. And we spend a lot of time sending it off. So if I if I say to myself, okay, Matthew, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to really open my heart to love. I got to prepare the space for it. I got to open the space for it. I have to say to myself, okay, I got my whole life constructed. Am I willing to let another person into that life, or am I going to decide they're an inconvenience? Well, how do you tell today in today's society, Doc? You know, there's a lot of people that's that's hung up on. Uh, in, in survival mode And a lot of that survival mode Has been brought on by Being in You know dysfunctional relationships in the past One yes. way or the other mm-hmm. So now now Reeling from these past Relationships that weren't fruitful You know so now I, I like to say you know they, they're, they're, um, They got a force field Around them you know what I mean? So oh, yeah. they, they don't they don't mm-hmm. really let people in, nor can they open up their heart because they don't want to be hurt again, rightly so. They don't want to go through this again. But you have to remove that force field, if if I'm mm-hmm. correct, in order to let out and to receive in. So how would you tell these people, our listeners, how to remove that force field, leave that old baggage where it was? 
I think the first thing is exactly what you said, and that is we have to admit that it's there. We have to get a really good image understanding of this force field that we have created in ourselves that maybe we got hurt really badly and we want to protect ourselves all the time. But as you said, if it's there and the door is locked shut, nobody's going to get in. We have to start with, we cannot change anything in our life that we cannot admit to. And I I know that might sound a little too obvious, but we do. We have to say, Hey, I've got this, this thing around me and I don't want to get hurt. And the truth of the matter is we are taking a risk if we open our hearts because once the heart is open, we can be hurt. So we have to admit that that this protection is there. And then the second thing is to take the risk to begin to make contact with other people and to look for that relationship. And in many cases, the best thing to do is to go slowly, is to learn how to trust again and to take little steps in reaching out, all the while knowing that, you know, you have a tendency. I had a client years ago who had been been through a pretty rough childhood and teenage years. She was 50 years old when she came to see me. She'd never been, she'd never been married and she called herself the ironclad lady. That's what she called herself. I'm the ironclad lady. And she said, I want a relationship, but I don't, I can't have this problem. I imagine getting married is like going to bed at night with somebody you hate and waking up with somebody you hate in the morning. I said, that's not pretty good attitude about marriage. She said, no, but that's the way I feel. I'm telling you the truth. And so she was honest with me. And we worked on what it would take to begin to drop some of that armor, to to imagine, well, not everybody in this world is going to hurt me. What if I start looking again and open myself up? And it took her over a year, but she's actually married now in a very happy relationship for about the last seven years. It was kind of a miracle, I think, but she started with, telling the honest truth, the hard, honest truth. I'm just covered in plates of steel and iron, and it's really hard to get to me. And so we talked about it a lot. We talked about her fear of getting hurt, her how she pushes people away, particularly men. And as she talked about it, she started looking at, I don't want to be alone the rest of my life. That was a big deal for her. She said, I I said to her, you get to have your iron or you get to have a relationship. You can't have both. You can't cover your heart with a plate of iron and expect love to come to you. It's going to bounce right off of it. So you can't have both. Which do you want? She said, well, I want to have love. And I said, okay. That takes a little bit of courage when you've been hurt to open yourself up. And at the same time, remember what we are talking about before, it's important as we begin to open our hearts, we have to pay attention to who we're opening them to. I remember years and years ago when I first started working with single people, I had a client who, no matter what happened, 
she would be attracted to the guy who was the alcoholic. And I said to her once, I said, I bet you that if we blindfolded you and put you in a room with a hundred men and nobody said a word, you just walked around with the blindfold on and then reached out and grabbed a man and said, that's the one I want. He'd be the only alcoholic in the room. She laughed. She said, that's the way it's been. So we had to figure out why she wanted to hang out with that. Well, what was her need? Did she have, did she have a, 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 a thing within her personality where she felt that yeah. she had to uh, mm-hmm. rescue a kitten? That's the word. She saw herself as a saver. Somebody right. had to save him. And trying to save someone is not a good basis for a loving relationship. It's just not. We then that's what she would do. She would sniff these guys out, and the ones who were the most messed up and needed some help would be where she would find attraction. And she thought deep down inside of herself, she believed that if I'm not trying to save you, maybe you won't love me. And she had to learn that she could be loved for who she was without being the savior. Now, I think it's important to care about people and want to help people, but that's more like a job. That's not what we want in our most intimate relationship. So do you feel like that's a form of insecurity within itself? I think that's a really good analysis. That's a form of insecurity. She was she was basically saying, I'm insecure. I don't know if I'm lovable, so I'll have to find somebody who desperately needs me, and that's the guy I'll pick, rather than I have to le- learn how to see myself as lovable and now attract someone who wants to love me rather than desperately need me. So saving, saving uh, you got it. You know, we can't run the rescue route. It's not going to work. So what's your thought on this online dating? Every time you turn on the TV, we see something about these dating services and this and that. What do you think about that? Almost every single person that I work with now has at least once, twice, or three times, sometimes even more, used online dating. And I think it's something that's here to stay. I think it's a reality. I think it can be useful, and it gives us a possibility of getting to know someone a little bit before we start a relationship. And if if we are, however, this is the however, if we're not really paying attention to the themes that we get stuck in and our bad choices, We'll repeat that online just as well as we will face-to-face. So it can be a very – I have a, a a good friend who went online a number of years ago right when it was first starting up. And uh, she was in South Florida, but she started talking to a guy who was in the military. Then he was in Japan. And eventually they met. They hit it off really well. They got married, and now they have a child, and they have a lovely relationship. So I don't think there's anything necessarily inherently bad about it. It's just important to pay attention to the other things you and I have been talking about. But seems like, uh, it's, I, a lot e- like it's a lot easier for the representative to deal with the representative that way. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's funny. I think I love that that phrase. I you know, it can be, but I'll give you an example. I I have a client, a woman, who says to me, you know, I have this problem with these men, and I go online and then I track the same guy. So she showed me some interactions that she had with this guy uh, that they were um, sending sort of like emails back and forth in the service. And I noticed that she would ask him a question and he would respond back with a two or three word answer. And he would ask her questions and she'd respond back with a paragraph. And I said to her, he's only giving you two, three word answers to your questions. What do you make of that? looks like you're being a lot more open with yourself than you're being with him. And she said to me, wow, I have that tendency to get into a relationship with men like that is I'm the giver and they kind of take, but they don't give much back. And I said, well, there's already happening in the, in the uh, emails. So you can notice, you can notice if you're paying attention. Wow. That, that word, there's that big word again, that if, yeah, Big word. That that's that big uh, word again. That's a giant one. You know, but I mean what choice do we have? Uh, to pay attention is you, you know, um the Buddhists talk about paying attention as a as a high level spiritual technique is that to really pay attention. Uh the Buddhists believe I think it's in Zen Buddhism, they say Everything that we need for enlightenment is right in front of us all the time if we pay attention. And then, and then and they makes, have another. No, I was just going to say that makes perfectly sense to me. And I think the hardest thing we as people, men and women, the hardest thing that we can do that what we all can do is we all have problems standing up and looking in the mirror and talking to that man oh, yeah. in the mirror. Mm-hmm. We yes. can't seem to get in front of the mirror and talk to that person and, and fix that person. We always want to point fingers. This this don't work out because of this, or mm-hmm. I have a problem with her because of that. And but we never want to take responsibility for why something is going a particular way. Well, you know that's that's well said. And when I work with couples. I noticed that uh, couples who are having problems, each person is a real expert on what's wrong with their partner. And they point their finger at their partner and they say, these 10 things are wrong with you, you jerk. And if you just changed, our relationship would be better. And I say to them, you know, when a couple comes to see me, I listen to what they say about each other because they're usually right about what's wrong with the partner. But then I say, you can be right, and I will listen to both of you. But the truth is, until somebody looks at themselves, this relationship doesn't have a prayer getting better. We have to look at ourselves. I have to say, what if I changed something in me? How would that affect a relationship? And it takes courage at first to do that. It always takes courage. You know, there's a saying, there's a big question that comes uh, that people who uh, over the years have been interested in this uh, spiritual um, book called The Course in Miracles. And, and the question to ask is, 
in couples is particularly important. The question is, would I rather be right or happy? Would I rather be right or happy? And in a couple's relationship, it's important to learn how to be happy and not have to be right so much. So I, I, I sort of mean it, and also it's a little bit cute that Sonny and I talk to each other regularly, and, and one of the things we'll say to each other, and it's really a lovely thing that gets passed between us, is I'd rather have you be right than me right. And it turns the whole thing on its head. I'd rather be happy than right. And when both people are doing that, it creates a really lovely kind of relationship. I Because the problem, the more we're blaming our partner, the bigger problems we're going to have in our relationship. And if a person is a blamer, they're not going to get very far in being intimate. Question, you blame somebody happens, else? Question. Uh, and part of that blame, what happens when you uh, identify a situation that's problematic to you and and your partner continues to do the same thing? Because he, because he or she does not feel it's that important. That's That's a problem, but I think what we have to start out by saying to our partners, look, you're doing something that's really a problem for me. How am I contributing to that? What do I do that sets it up so this is going on? Tell me what you think. What am I doing that's contributing? Let's say, do uh, you want to give me an example or I'll make one up? Go ahead. Just make one up because it was just a thought. Okay. You know, I always like to try to play the devil's advocate because I know some of our listeners out okay. there are dealing with some of everything. Yeah. Um. Let's say that um, uh, I had a couple once, and part of the problem, and, and this is oh, here's one for meaningful. you, Doc. We go out to dinner all the time, and you know, you order what you want to eat. I order what I want to eat, and you sitting, you know, next to me, but not really that close. And you have a habit of always picking food off my plate. <laughs> And 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 frankly, that that irritates me. You know what I mean? I I don't okay. I don't do that to you. You know what I mean? I, I know okay. I can. I'll ask for something if I want, but I, I just don't reach over the table and just grab stuff. You know? Okay. All right. So now we've been in a relationship for a while. The two of us are having the food problem. Mm-hmm. We've been together for a while. It's not like the first date, right? Well, it kind of started on the first day, but then it continued, you okay. know what I mean? And and I made right. mention, like, well, well, you know, why why do you do that, you know? Okay, so my solution to that one is let's say that you're out with a woman and you really like this woman a lot. I mean, you've got a nice relationship going on, except when you go out to dinner, she's just picking stuff off of your plate, even though you've told her you don't really like it, Okay. My suggestion to you is to say to her, sweetheart, I want you to know that when we go out, anytime you want, you can have whatever you want off my plate. That's how much I love you. Just don't throw the plate on her, right? (laughs) Because 
What is the problem? The problem is we're getting territorial even about a plate of food. Now, if I'm territorial about a plate of food, what am I going to do about my heart if she wants to come in and get close to me that way? I'm saying reverse it. Let go. That's, that's an ego thing. It's saying, you know, don't take my stuff. Well, how else is that going to show up in the relationship? If she's encroaching on my space, she's taking my stuff. She might be doing that out of a sense of feeling comfortable with you. She might be doing it out of a sense of trust, out of feeling really close. You could turn it into something kind of special by saying, hey, no problem. That's fine with me. Take the ego out of it. And don't think she's just being greedy. That's, yes. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I know. <laughs> because, because that could be a projection. You know, that might be something going on with you. I'm talking like it's you, but I, I don't really know this is true or not. You might, you might be just imagining, you know, this is a greedy woman. When she might be just saying to you, that's how safe I feel with you. Now, I had another example of uh, a woman who said to me, my husband works really hard all day long. And when he comes home at the end of the day, six, seven, even eight o'clock at night, he walks in the door. And the first thing he does is he pays more attention to the dogs than he pays to me. And I have told him a hundred times that really upsets me. You get all excited about the dog and you say, oh, hi, and then you start playing with the dogs. Now, most of us would think, well, that's not really a good way to come home. Right? Right. <laughs> okay. But the, dogs, but the dog greets him at the door. The dog jumps on him when he comes in the door, but she don't. That's what I said to her. I said, I said, tell me this. When he walks in the door, do you jump up and wag your tail to him and be so happy to see him? It looks like you haven't seen him all day long like they do. She says, well, not necessarily. I said, well, maybe take responsibility for that on yourself rather than blame him and look happy to see him. Stop what you're doing. Run over and give him a hug. And the guy is sitting there on the couch with her. He looks at me and he starts to smile. And I said, what are you smiling about? And he said, actually, I would love that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because he probably wouldn't know how to handle that either. That would probably just blow <laughs> his mind right there too because like, oh, uh-huh. you, That's right. actually, you actually glad to see me for a change? Yes, exactly. And I, little things like that matter a lot in a relationship. Now, I I could say have said to him, you know, what's wrong with you? This woman, you're supposed to love her, and you walk in the door, and the dogs are more important. What you ought to do is go right past the dogs, find this woman, and give her a big hug and a kiss and say, honey, I missed you all day long. Now, that would be a great thing to do. But she was the one who brought up the problem, so I was trying to help her. The big problem in relationships for a lot of people when we're having difficulties is we feel powerless to do anything to make it different. And we usually imagine that the power is in the hands of the other person. And so, therefore, if they don't change, we can't get better. 
So I, I say, no, if you really look deeply, you can find something that you could do or not do that is going to contribute to a solution. The good news about this is in a couple, when people start realizing that their partner is really trying to make some change, we start to feel like we have a partnership and it's easier for us to make the change too. When we stop the blaming, as we say in the business, don't play the blame game. Anytime I'm blaming somebody, I'm feeling like a victim. I'm convincing myself I'm the victim, I'm powerless, and and they're the ones with all the power. And the more we think that way, the more we act that way, the more we produce it. Now, this takes a lot of strength, though, at first to stop blaming because, you know, we might be right. Well, we usually are right about what's wrong with them. Yeah, it does take a lot of strength because you get to the point, usually after you get tired of blaming a person, you go into a, a recess mode and then you start thinking about, um, do I, I'm tired of blaming. Uh, there, there's no change. There's no improvement. So mm-hmm. do I really love this person now? Do I really care about this person? Does this person really love me? Does this person really care about me? Um, what do I do? Yeah, and I, it takes strength and courage to look in the mirror and say, what is it that I'm doing that contributes to the difficulties I'm experiencing in this love relationship? And just that honest question can change something in a person. It's, it tends to open doors. We tend to start seeing things in a different way. When we, st- we say to ourselves, you know what? Is it more important for me to blame or to be happy? Now, what if I look at myself and take responsibility? I'm not talking about blaming ourselves and beating ourselves up and telling ourselves we're bad people. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying my husband comes home at the end of the day and he doesn't rush right over to me. What do I do to st- what have I been doing that stops that and what can I do that might have a shift on that? Usually people start to see something that they can do. But they first have to ask themselves that question, correct? Yes. That's right. We that's what we have to do. We have to say where am I responsible? How am I creating something that I say I don't want now we can apply that in any life situation and get something useful out of it that that comes with having that honest and open conversation with oneself yes yes that takes some maturity to do that you know it's it's the child it's the immature part of us that wants to blame other people it's the part of us that feels powerless that wants to blame other people it's the part of us that's helpless and hopeless that wants to blame other people but the blame itself circles back and stabs us in the back it makes us weaker do you think we tend to watch too many television relationships and try to apply that and what what I'm asking is, you know, I, I talk to a lot of people. I'm sure you do, and they uh, they have all have their opinions on what a good relationship is. 
And then my first question is, where is all this wealth of the experience coming from? Because they mm-hmm. seem like, and having talked to them, they have very little or no experience at all in, in relationships. They've been basically by themselves forever or had, you know, maybe one one semi-relationship that, that didn't really pan out, but then they got all these how to and what should be and how you should be and what this person should or should not do. How do you deal with something like that? Well, I'm going to plug the book for 10 seconds here. Go ahead. That's, a, that, that's why I wrote The Resurrection of Romance, the book, because I, I really noticed in my life and the life of so many other people, it's hard to get really good, solid guidance. And I wanted to write a book that says, look, here's some very specific things that if you do them, they're going to produce positive results in relationships. And there's things for you to do and things for you to avoid. But mostly it's about the positives. For example, I think we mentioned it last time we talked about how important words are. If you grew up in a family where people didn't talk a lot or they said things to each other that were very hurtful or they cursed at each other or they put each other down or or they did not, for example, say many positive things to each other, we can learn how to pay attention to words that matter and the tone of our voice, the words that we choose to communicate with our partner, how many times we say a positive thing to that person as opposed to a negative thing. That really does matter. And that's, that's one of the major reasons I wrote this book is I wanted people to have a guidebook about how to make it really good, not just get by, but how to make it even to the point of being ecstatic. A lot of the time when you're with your partner and when both people practice that, that kind of, caring, loving communication that I talk about about in the book, it usually gets a lot better, a lot better. And you're right. I've said for years, it would be really nice if we went in in the first grade in school and they started teaching us how to listen to other people. And we went in the second grade and they taught us something else about human communication. And the third and the fourth and the fifth, by the time we got to be a senior in high school, we should know a lot about positive communication and effective communication with other people. It seems to me it should be a regular part of our educational system, but it's not. And so we watch TV, we watch the movies, and we pick up a lot of crap in addition to a few positive things sometimes. I think it's hopeful when I notice that people do positive things. A lot of comedy programs, while they might be funny, make it funny by doing the wrong thing and saying hurtful or stupid or crazy things to each other. But that's not going to really help this person who needs how to have some real guidance. So ultimately, that's the reason I wrote the book, The Resurrection of Romance, is I I want people to learn how to do what they need to do that's really going to produce something beautiful. And where where can our listeners go get your book, Doc? You can get it in two different places. You can go to Amazon.com and just type in The Resurrection of Romance, Matthew Anderson. Um, Or you can go to my blog, 
and you can get some articles about it. You can also order it through the blog of the same name, theresurrectionofromance.com. Or you can email me at dra, Dr. A, at mattcoyote.com, M-A-T-T-C-O-Y-O-T-E.com. All that information is at the blog, The Resurrection of Romance. And it's all also at uh, Amazon.com. It's easy to get to. Yeah, we definitely want our listeners to go out and support and, and pick up a copy of your of your book because we definitely need uh, more love on this planet. We can never get too and much of something, that. Something I didn't mention last time we were on is that I Skype uh, with couples and individuals all over the country. So if you don't live in South Florida, um, I'm as close to you as your computer, and we can have sessions over the over the Skype. I like to do face to face with Skype or FaceTime. Really, a nice thing to do now that it's available. And I work with calls really all over the country now because of it. So you can get that contact information. At it's in the book or it's at my blog too. It's a great thing about how uh, uh, the, the computer and the internet works now. We can really have wonderful, like you and I are talking. You know, you're in L.A., right? Yes. Hollywood. Yes. You know, we don't give me too to specific. One of those people may come key your card here. I remember that. Oh no, because look, while you were asking me those questions, I was thinking about coming down there to South Florida and go fishing, so you can give me some one-on-one pointers. Oh, that'll be cool. That'll be cool. I'm in. Uh, I'm in Boca Raton. You know where that is? Yes, sir. That's right next yeah. to Fort Lauderdale. I know. I know, and don't be surprised if you see me on your doorstep tomorrow (laughs) (laughs) with with a duffel bag. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm going to say it was all your fault. (laughs) All right, okay. All right, if if I cause it, I'll help you with it. <laughs> Listen, Doc, we're down to the last minute of the show, and I want to say thank you, thank you so much again. And I hope our listeners uh, got something to take away to to benefit them and help them have a, a stronger, more positive relationship, and they can live happily ever after. And definitely, they can go out and get your book and, and get some refresher courses and all that. And uh, well, I hope you come to Florida. I'd love to see you. And thank you so much for having me. It's really been a joy talking to you both times. Oh, man, look, it's been definitely been our pleasure. And every time you've been on the show, we've definitely learned something. And I'm, I'm a promise not to point fingers at least 10 minutes. And then i got to take it by. i got to take it in baby steps. <laughs> One step at a time. If I can get past ten minutes, then I can make it to twenty, so on and so forth. And then I call. Hey, look, I'll call you tomorrow and tell you if I got past the whole okay. hour or two. All right. Okay. All right. You, you can have her call me. She could call me and tell me how you did. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, your phone's gonna be blowing up. I'll tell you that much. Okay. All right. Well, definitely, it's been great, Doc, and. Uh, you too. Give, uh, give Sonny our best, and uh, we're going to yeah, take you home gonna, with this. Yes, she's going to love that piece of music. Thanks, buddy. Right, here it is for Sonny, yesterday my life was filled with rain. 